0: Uh, are you, yeah? I mean, you, you, you don't, you're afraid yeah. you, you wouldn't get enough volume?
1: Happy, happy, happy. <laughs> <laughs> Connie's not you? here now. Not on yet. Are you removing? Uh-oh. Oh, thank you. Yeah, all well. I mean, it's nice. It's a holiday. It's a yeah. What nice. a junior. What matching? Yeah, the junior yeah. holiday for me. Yeah. Oh, maybe I'll throw one in my clock. I think so. You oh, go, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I know, it's a mocha. Okay, that's a good idea. It's, a, it's a great idea. <laughs> right. Okay, well, I got 10.
0: I got 10.30. We'll start Let's pray. Blessed Lord, has caused all holy scriptures written for our learning. Grant we may in such wise hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them. By patience and comfort of thy holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the
1: blessed hope of everlasting life, just given us in our Savior Jesus Christ. So we are at, at uh, James 5, and
0: it, it it just occurred to me every time I read it, James again,
1: oh, Connie, listen, what are those yellow trees that are losing leaves called out in the parking lot? Carol wanted to know, and, and I, if, if I don't ask what's well, on my mind, I can't hear you. You're muted. Let's see if we can unmute you. Uh, those are called cherry trees. Aren't they beautiful? Cherry tree? Hi, yeah. I. Send me a chat with the, with the spelling of that. It was a little, uh, muffled in the, in the speech. Oh, okay. Anyway, so. Okay. When when it comes up, I'll, 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 we'll take a pregnant pause to, to get that tree to study our horticulture and get our
0: tree.
1: Just treat. I just sent it to you. Okay. Let's see here. Well, colateria. Oh, coliterias. K
0: O E L E T E R I A. A colateria. colletaria Yeah. Yeah. That's a spelling a spelling bee. Now you can ask <laughs> language of origin. I, I, and I'm not sure if I spelled it correctly, but I'll, I'll make sure that it's, that it's perfect. All right. Thanks, Johnny. All right. Now we'll resume the Bible study portion of our
1: <laughs> of our
0: day. Um, it, it dawns on me in reading James that uh, there's a lot of, there, there's two things that are, that, that, that James, what James is saying is deeply rooted in. One is the Torah, we'll, we'll touch on some of the commandments that he is focusing on. And then he is really in touch with the Sermon on the Mount and in the parallel version of that in Luke called the Sermon on the Plain, and we'll make some references to that. And it, it seems like um again, James just to contrast um Two complementary voices, Uh, St. Paul, uh, who is uh, preaching to um,
1: the Gospels, back to the Gentiles and the the preeminent doctrine of, of what is historically
0: called justification by faith, rooted in the idea that we are intrinsically unable to fulfill the righteous demands of the torah christ has fulfilled those righteous demands for us we are saved by faith in him not by our ability to fill them james then has the however is what saint paul says is is true we have to come in faith and repentance to receive the gift but then through the gift of the Holy Spirit and we are then called to do those things. And James is highlighting that. That that in Christ we're supposed to and actually um so uh, let me a verse that really has struck out, stuck out to me on this. If you would turn your Bibles to Romans
1: chapter eight. Um, can find Romans chapter 8. Um, so I want to, um, I'll just read it for you, therefore,
0: um, because it, it,
1: I'll read from verse 1. I want to get to. Um, I want to get to verse 4, but
0: we'll get the backdrop for it. He writes, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now it's an interesting thing there, no condemnation forgiven and free from sin, but he connects that with a way of life. We don't who don't live in the old dominion of the flesh, in which we strive to keep commandments and always fail and end up guilty and subject to death. But now we live in the new dispensation of the spirit, the baptismal gift, in which we begin by acknowledging that we can't fill with the demands. We receive the gift of forgiveness and the strengthening gifts of the Spirit, which then enable us to go out and love in a new way. And we're not, condi- we're not, we're not. And so that the, so we're, we're so we can, we can. Um, so let's just respond. so. No condemnation for those who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Law of the spirit of life is, is just what I said. The spirit forgives us and gives us life. So we're free from sin, free to live in a new way. The law of sin and death was you sin and you die. <laughs> so, but the, but let's go on then, now living in the spirit and, and, and St. Paul isn't really at odds with St. James on this. Um, he says, what the law could not do in that it was weak to the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. But this is the, this is the verse I want to highlight. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And what St. Paul is suggesting here is that the gift of the Spirit enables us to begin to fulfill the law of love, which fulfills the law not perfectly or without stumbling. Uh, we, we fulfill it progressively. We grow in love. But there's a real... ability to now begin to do, because we're free from sin, we're free from condemnation. This is what happens when we come to the altar, we experience again the gift, now let's go do the good works. We, we're free to do that. We're not captive, we're not condemned, we're, we're free. That's the idea, living in the Spirit, so now you can And so James is really focusing on, now, but you have to do this. You don't get to say, "All oh, my sins are forgiven, doesn't really matter what I do, because God loves me no matter what. Those are truths, but they're only half of the truth. It, it, there's a corresponding, you know, it's in it's, it's throughout the scriptures, you see everywhere, the woman caught in adultery in, in John 8. Neither do I condemn you. Now, don't go, go, sin no more. Stop it. Go and live a new way. And if we if we turn the, the gospel into just this forgiveness the sort of lazy forgiveness that puts no demand on us, we err. Just like we err if we make the gospel into a, a demand to live a certain way apart from the grace of forgiveness. They both need to be held in balance. And so St. Paul emphasizes more the grace, and James emphasizes more the demand. Uh, and that that reflects James' very intrinsically Jewish Setting, you know, of, of a of a Jewish rabbinic, uh, uh, but he's he's he, he's making the point that that again that that, that even Jesus said, and this is why I I feel like James really echoes the Sermon on the Mount, that that Jesus said, I didn't come to do away with the law and the prophets, the Torah and the prophets, I came to fulfill them. And so James is now asking us to to rise up to that higher level of obedience. Uh, from the heart of the true meaning in the spirit of the commandments, not mere an outward obedience to the Pharisees. So, so now we'll jump back. Let's go back to James 5 now, and we'll, we'll just jump in and we'll, we'll touch base on a few of these points. How often we get into, um or James alludes to
1: either the, the Torah directly or really something Jesus highlighted. The ver- chapter 5, verse 1. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries
0: that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you, and will eat flash like fire heaped up treasure in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. The cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. You have lived, I'm going to read the whole section, you've lived in luxury on earth, excuse me, you've lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury, and have fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter.
1: You have condemned, you have murdered the just. He does not resist you. Now, James seems to be sort of the, the
0: the sort of quintessential rich man. But we can get back to the teaching of Jesus. It's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Um, so what is he talking about here? But one thing that, come, that comes to mind immediately,
1: if we turn to Luke chapter 6. I'm going to make you turn a little bit today, or you can just listen, because I'll read it for you. If you don't, you don't, don't have to go there. Luke 6.24. <laughs> Um, Jesus writes in Luke, or Jesus, Jesus says in Luke six twenty four. But woe
0: to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now, you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets.
1: Now that was. 24, if you go back to to 20, um, Jesus says,
0: blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you who hunger now, you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, you shall laugh. And it's it's exactly parallel. Blessed when men speak evil of you as opposed to, to speak well of you. Um, what, what's being gotten at in this contrast here? Is this simply a matter of a wholesale condemnation of everyone who might have wealth? Mm-hmm.
1: Explain. It's a statement of a person's heart. Okay. okay. on the throne of your heart. So, so what, what, would, what would, in Jesus' um,
0: teaching, and, and James as well here, characterize
1: the rich man? What's that? Okay, yeah, so I the parable of the rich man and Lazarus since since
0: the title of the parable is The Rich Man, a good way to, as, as a good, uh, in, in that parable, um, what, um, and, and, and it also, it, it, interestingly, that rich man may actually be some of the backdrop, you know, James may have in mind here, because if you say you've lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury, you have fattened your hearts
1: also the rich man that I mean not the rich man but the man that comes before Jesus. You can be rich in this religious personality
0: and be like, oh, I'm so glad I'm not like this tax collector. I've done this and this, and I
1: fast, maybe that. So it's like, you can well, be there, certain, there can
0: be that too. But like let's stay. Life. Let's stay here. We've talk, he's clearly talking about about the the danger of 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 material wealth people. here because oh, this. Self
1: re- because they're self sufficient. Yeah. Self-sufficient. yeah. Okay. So so what what is it let's look at, at what happens, what, what is um characterizing so he
0: he talks about the rich the, the, the richest corrupted garments moth beaten gold and silver corroded. And I think the idea here is someone who trusts in this kind of wealth and actually, there's another, let me just read this other uh, passage from, from that came to mind here. Because I think these, these verses,
1: he, there. what's that? There. What it? Yeah, they're long, they're right. So, so here, here's, a, here's a verse, I don't have to turn there, I'll just read it for you. Um
0: in Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take heed to beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. And he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plenty, plentifully, And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater barns. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So what what is lacking in that rich man and and sort of the the rich man that James kind of is is,
1: is referring to? Not generous. I mean, there's no, uh, so,
0: Part of the, the idea of abundance, and Jesus is pretty clear about this, that, um, and St. Paul says as much, that um, he, he draws us to labor productively so that we may have something left over to give to people in need. So the idea of generosity is taking the abundance
1: and being generous with it. The purpose of having more than we need is to give. there's all sorts of um, you know considerations
0: in our time because because we are a very prosperous culture of how much we need how much we need to save up for retirement to be able to you know to, to, to sustain ourselves but there, but it's like it's like um, it's like the principle we talked about earlier about making kids go to church there's a principle we, we we should be generous with what we have extra well what's that mean what's the rule well that's what you have to in the spirit pray about and decide and and make provision for you know but but the but the movement of generosity that when you find you' you're you're receiving an abundance the fir- a first get a first thought rather than just, Let me build a bigger barn. Should be what good can I do with this? There's a need here. There's something. um, What? What can? How can I help somebody? Because that's the purpose of having the abundance. And I think this is a problem in our culture, which values
1: wealth as an end in and of itself. You know, we we have. Rankings, you know, the richest people. Then you want, in that, but, but that's kind
0: of funny in the in the sense of the judgment. That's not that's not a great thing to show up on Judgment Day with, you know, fifty billion. Yeah, sitting there. (laughs) But most of the so my my own experience in ministry is that people who have wealth, it does consume them unless they're generous. All of the people who, who I know of who have wealth. who who aren't consumed by it, have learned to give generously with it. And and that's the idea of kind of living with the open hand of an awareness, even in the perspective of faith, that it isn't going with you. We we aren't going to, what goes with you is, 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 is our record of works, what we did with it. And so that's, so one thing we see about the rich man James is talking about lived in luxury, pleasure, fattened your hearts, is all inward focus. It's not, it's not, not, um, there's very little outward
1: uh, movement on that. Um, Also, there's a a direct Torah reference in uh, verse 4. The wages of the laborers who mowed
0: your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabiach. Um leviticus nineteen thirteen commands that the the, the the wages of the labor should not be withheld overnight. you pay because the labor lives off of that and so um,
1: this so this is that's a, a, a specific um, indictment of the of the caricatured rich man here
0: is that he is does not observe the torah he's not generous to his workers and that's also something too just in the general sense of of how we approach business and and workers you know one of the i think errors of of a merely economic approach is that it it tends to see workers as mere dollar amounts to be minimized not people whose labors are valued and even tends to see products as things that are only produced in order to make money, not because they are intrinsically good. And that's, I think, probably the biggest indictment of our overall economy is that we make a lot of junk that probably doesn't really even need to be made. um I don't know, you know the world is what it is, but for our own assessment of that we I think what we make ought to be something good. It's not really good to make you know and it, and and the whole idea of of um, using God's creation simply to make money rather than intrinsically valuing the things made as intrinsically good. And intrinsically valuing the labor that goes into that as having value, and putting economic value on that, which is what a, a you know a Christian, an enterprise focused on biblical principles should. Are we making something? Good? Dorothy Sayers has an interesting essay on this called "Why." I think it's called "Why Work," which she talks about you know a brewery, you know, with a board of directors meeting. With first and foremost, you know, are, are we making good beer? Than our employees are they are they provided for now obviously when you're in economic enterprise you know if you're not you have to
1: it has to make a profit otherwise then won't work but I, I think it probably all things being equal you'll find out that it's more
0: likely to work if the people, if you're doing something good and people enjoy doing it or committed to it. And I think one of the essential problems we have in our, I just, to preserve it in our own economy now is, you know, workers, you know, all these workers that want to come to work after the pandemic are kind of tired of like, yeah, it's not worth it. The company value you and like, good. I'm not going to do it. And that's the kind of the, the, the thing that the division we have now because, because workers have not historically been valued. That's a little bit of a broadside, and it's a very nuanced conversation. So don't go say that Bishop Scarlett yeah. went off against capitalism. We didn't do that. <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I will say that that this this idea of, of how we view money as an end in and of itself. Is what he's talking about. We're not in, we're not concerned with the intrinsic thing that we're doing with it, and so um, it's also interesting too because I thought about this when I gave the tidings sermon this year because I read this I read this uh, book by this guy who talked about uh, you know the the uh, rituals of Israel and kind of the, the way that. Torah principles infused all of life. And he made the point that um, if you weren't, you know, harvesting your field by Torah principles, you weren't leaving, leaving the edge, the Torah said, for the poor to feed off of. Um, and if you weren't um, treating your workers, paying them wages, what good was your time? In other words, the whole, the whole, the whole totality this represents what you make, but it's not a money extracted out, which is why we have to think maybe more holistically about the whole of our life. You know, we offer ourselves to God. It's not like, here, have some money of what I've made. You know, it's like it represents the whole of the way we approach life. And I do think we need to think more holistically about this. Uh, And I think there's some movement, you know, to that, you know, people say, I mean, I think one of the things that we're clearly is, is a problem of culture just has gotten away from ag- agriculture, agrarian way of life. I'm not pining for long hours on the farm, but we've, we've processed food in a way that's not very healthy or good. My, my suspicion is that a lot of the dietary things, the problems we have now are, are, are a result of massive farm operations that use massive chemicals and pesticides to produce a lot of food um, that never thought it is, are we growing this? You know, we're going to eat this. What are we putting into it? These are real issues uh, that, that that now I think people now we have like markets where people, this is, you know, produced without that stuff because people realize it's not good for you to to process food with a bunch of sugar in it, a bunch of fat in it because it tastes good and then have a lot of people eating it. That's a problem. Is it good? And part of the problem, too, I think, is the idea that that my own sense of, of communal connectedness was, you know, I think once upon a time, the people who are making the food are also eating that same food. You have a, a situation where people who make it don't eat it. We have a situation where, like, you would say, like the Apple executives who made iPads, they knew what it did to kids. Their kids weren't allowed to use it. That, you know you, you read about no my kids I don't, I'm not gonna let you. we know we know this is addictive but we'll get it out there and make a bunch of money but our kids aren't going to do it there's no so this is this is part of the way that that faith that the economics begins to drive everything apart from is this good and that's I think the essential problem of of wealth when it's an end in and of itself and not you um, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added. The Torah envisions a very prosperous Israel. You seek first the kingdom, you do the things God said to do, you honor him, you love each other, and God sends the rain and it's all great. That the the danger Israel ran into is like, it all became great, it's all great, and you begin to, oh yeah, well, do do I really wanna pay God what he's supposed to get? Do I really wanna do this? I can make more money by, you know, and that's the temptation where we begin to drift away from, from seeking first the kingdom, and we digress into. So I think those are the kind of things that are caught up in this in this sort of broadside against the rich man here. But clearly, the Torah he withheld the, the wages, uh, and these these, um, and what he says so something interesting there. The, the the cries of the laborer have reached the ears of the Lord of Harvest. Um, it, it, it's almost, uh, even in, in the Exodus, there is um passage where Israel's cries and bondage in Egypt have reached God. God listens to the cry of injustice. He is slow and patient, and sometimes it takes a while for that to, to come to pass. And that's the point is for, for, we don't want to be somebody who by our treatment of people is or are participating in that kind of injustice would become an
1: oppressor and not someone who's on the side of the people that God is, is supporting. Um, and he also says, uh,
0: you have condemned, you have murdered the just, he does not resist you. It made me think, <clears throat> yesterday we had the brutal feast of the Holy Innocents, uh, that all the baby boys in Bethlehem, um, two years
1: old and younger, who were killed by Herod, uh, murdered the just, the innocents. The, um, but, but we're, uh, we're, Father Hayden Father Hay and I were talking about this because we both reflected,
0: I did the morning prayer of NKHD the Mass, but it seems to hearken or highlight for us the fact the world is full of this. And sometimes we're
1: very bubbled in our exposure to it. But all around the world, the innocent are getting cancer. And it's usually the young. And in our own culture with... With, uh, with the uh, practice
0: of abortion on demand young unborn born these, these are these are significant things so I think holy innocence simply highlights that larger reality and I think
1: it's it's one of the dangers of um, being too bubble it's why it's really important
0: for us all to stay in touch with the pain of life. Um, I've always valued, you know. I mean, we all—all we all of us have a certain amount of in touchness with the pain of life. But there's a certain sense in which we have enough things to kill the pain and hide it and cover it up. But to be in touch with real poverty, where you're, in, where people who are—it's a—it's a—it reminds us that this is the way the world is more than it is the way we experience it. And um, and it is what helps detach us a little bit from the idea that simply material prosperity here is some um, paradise we that can be sustained that can't be. Even because of some of the things we talked about, even our economic thing, is a pretty much I mean this is this is only the opinion of the, of the speaker and not necessarily one, but it's
1: it's a, we, we, it's a house of cards. I mean, our deficit is um, how many trillion now? Huh? 1.7. is the deficit. That's the amount of money we. Oh, more than That the budget. I'm sorry, that's the budget. Yeah. yeah,
0: that's not. just. My only point is, I, I, I just. It. I don't. I'm not like. Let's have a movement for a balanced budget. I, I'm. I'm really. To me, the point of that. This is not sustainable. This world is not sustainable or perfectible. It should bring us back to. We certainly don't want it to collapse all around us. That's why we pray for the government, for rulers, to maintain justice. To you know, we don't want it to fall apart, but it's not sustainable. And realizing it's not sustainable detaches us from faith and that, that kind of comfort
1: and reminds us, yeah, waiting for the Lord to come. No, I'm coming still from a psychologist's point of view, but I still think that with all of everything we just, can be caught up and up on them like if I was some famous actor or actress and like just rest on that instead of being generous these are gifts God gave us and just so full of ourselves like we can be full of our riches and make that an end goal like you were saying not an end in itself it's just I think, I, think, I think there's an application of that. I mean, I mean, I think my own point is James is clearly
0: talking about monetary wealth and its dangers. There might be a secondary application to the various other things we have, and the way that we can withhold those or see them as our own thing, which which is a, a parallel disorder—the yeah. idea that we've received something from God that's mine to store up and. And, and, and rather than, than mind, mind. I'm give going to build more barns so I can just look at all my myself. <laughs> well, that, and that's in terms of like, you know, having an abundance of material things, like having a number of maybe gifts, uh, all those we thought of in terms of generosity. How do I, how do I serve? How do I, in the language of the parable of the talents, you know, trade with them to, to, to seek good for, for others. So.
1: And Mary, in fact, is that it's like you rich, you've sent empty away, but the hungry, the hunger and thirst for righteousness, you fill that up, if you're full of yourself, you're not going to be hungry and thirsty. Oh. Well, so, so I mean, to, to, to
0: therefore, to, to, to transition to our next section, begin at verse 7, um, Therefore, the, the, the opposite of, of, of the rich would be the poor. But Luke, uh, in Luke, Jesus says, bless, you know, Woe to you rich, blessed are you poor. Matthew uses the blessed are the poor in spirit. And the poverty of spirit is, is to be aware of our need and um, be aware of our dependency upon God and Christ. We can be very aware of that, no matter how much we have, or if we can have a little or a lot and be aware of that, although having a lot, um, what it essentially does is enable us to have more painkillers that can can kind of separate us from the visceral reality of pain. So I've noticed when, I, when I'm around poorer families, the problems aren't very hidden. When you're around wealthier families, you hide it; you know, it looks it looks nicer in the package. But when I, you, the others, you go into the living room, and there, there it all is. And, and um, so, for us to be aware of our dependency on Christ, to be aware of the fact that apart from Christ, you know, He is life, and we have life in Him, and remember that always. And to realize everything we have is, is a gift, in that perspective, but that's the, that's the essential thing. So he says in verse
1: 7: therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. So notice again that James, like virtually every
0: New Testament author, sees the goal of the Christian life as
1: waiting for the coming of the Lord. The Greek word here is called the parousia, um, the coming
0: of the Lord. So what he's doing is he's saying, he's have this contrast between those who trust in their riches and are storing it up and ignoring their workers and, and the poor. It looks like things are going well, like that guy of Bill Barnes, but a day is coming of accountability. And on the other hand, and we should remember here in context that James is likely writing to extremely poor Christians in Jerusalem, who the early Christians were persecuted heavily by the uh, Jewish establishment, just like Jesus was. James himself, as you remember, we started the epistle with, martyred by being pushed off the pinnacle of the temple when he stood up for Jesus. So, so you're talking about a community that's that's um, that's poor, that's marginalized, that probably has trouble entering economically into uh, the culture because it's it's controlled a lot by the Jewish powers to be. So there's that. This teaching is
1: is certainly of James should be understood in the light of that first century setting as well. To so be patient. It,
0: it may look a certain way now, but it's going to look different then. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord as an angel. Now this agrarian image is, is significant because um,
1: Judgment is on one level described as a harvest, where where the and we see the fruits, and so what you the, the whole
0: point here would be, um, the 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 caricatured rich man is doing this, but he's not producing any fruit that lasts. So when the Lord comes, it will be revealed to be nothing. But you be patient in prayer and good works and in love, because that's producing fruit like a patient farmer. And when the Lord
1: comes, that will be revealed and, and rewarded. Staff Church, the coming of the Lord is at hand. And that is
0: that same language that uh, we, we have with uh, you know John the Baptist, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, which always has that tension between Christ being near and also not being quite here yet. It also is the point of the Lord being at hand that not all the judgments of Christ take place only when he comes again. That is, you see historical judgments where over the course of time, people who trust in their wealth as an end of life tend to to get, uh, uh, that, that tends to come home to roost Those who patiently endure in doing what is right tend to see some kind of
1: reward for that patient. Because the Lord is at hand. Verse 9. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned.
0: There's an Old Testament word that means the same thing. What's it called?
1: Our, our famous wilderness word, burr, burr. Burr, burr. Burr. wilderness. And this is another thing that comes, seems to me right from the Sermon on the Mount. What did Jesus say? About, um, rumbling against another, which would assume you're complaining of finding
0: their actions to be, they judge.
1: Log out of your own eye. Do yeah, not, lest you be judged. Judge. Do
0: not grumble, lest you be
1: condemned. So this this is kind of the same kind of thing as don't. Um, and, this, and this is something, of course, that sounds like a like a you know attractive principle. But of course, in a community,
0: we all have a tendency to grumble. We all have somebody who
1: huh. we look at and say, man, what are they doing that for? Set me right on that. I brought my mother-in-law one time. <laughs> I got to see, that it was all my own stuff that I kept seeing. Her. Like, oh, I thought he was gonna bring me out. And he ended up, he turned it on me, but not in a bad way because I was ready to hear him. I'm like, why would you go to a place where you thought someone was gonna like? We were both gonna attack her and (laughs) eliminate. So, so the the grumbling against another um, is a form of judgment, and why and why shouldn't we do that? Huh? But let's unpack, why isn't it our job? God's job. Huh? It's God's job. He judges. What does God have that we don't have? A
0: bigger perspective. A bigger
1: perspective. So where they started, what they're dealing
0: with. What they're dealing with. How was bringing up
1: stuff? You know.
0: So we're passing a summary judgment because we're irritated by something. We have no idea what's going on in a person's life, where it came from. St. Paul said in a, the Advent three epistle, uh, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes. will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. That's, that's, that's what he can judge. This is what's really going on here. And we, we take a snippet. So we, we, we ought to be aware. We don't really know what's going on. And also, other people are doing that to us and they don't know what's going on with us either. and we don't want that. So we want to to, to, to be generous to them as we like to have, you know, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against
1: us. That's the free flow of grace. Um, We're grumbling. Behold, the judge is standing at the door which is interesting, because that,
0: re- that revelation passage, we all must stand at the door and knock, which like, oh, open the door, I'll come in, yeah, we'll eat. Here he's standing at the door like, hey, I hear grumbling? <laughs> here. So there's two, two ways he
1: stands at the door. My brethren, verse 10, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and
0: patience. Said be patient in verse 7, be patient comes up again here, which has the idea of uh, it's not merely waiting, but it's, it's, it's persevering in
1: right action as we wait for the reward. Um. And that's kind of what we do in faith. Faith being being the evidence of things not seen, that we we, we continue in, in prayer,
0: trying to love as we're supposed to love, even though um, it doesn't seem to produce anything in the moment. Be patient, continue. We know it, we know, we trust in the Lord to reward us. And, we remember, uh, I, I think that it's important that trust, and that's how we're saved by faith, that is trusting in Christ that enables us to move forward and live faithfully, even though we don't see it all right now. Should um, always be thought of in terms of, of, of the lack of faith that was in the garden biblically. Adam and Eve didn't in the moment they're overwhelmed by the anxiety the temptation of the moment i didn't trust that if they just did what god said it'd work out okay so we're we have to be we have to realize that the temptation to to not persevere and instead to seek some short-term fix the timeless temptation we have to resist it and, and that's why he talks about patience or perseverance uh continually. The Bible
1: continually talks about that. So the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as example of suffering and patience. It's interesting there,
0: he Hebrews talks about Jesus as the example, but here the prophets, because they're a little bit more like us, they're ordinary people. He's, human, you know, so that they continued on in the face of opposition. And I think, again, probably we should situate James' teaching here very much in that first century Jerusalem church, where the early church is a prophetic witness for Jesus being heavily opposed, standing in that opposition. And uh, so they should take a look at the prophets
1: as an example. Indeed, we count those We count them blessed to endure in you
0: to the end. Jesus said, he who endures to the end will be saved. You've heard of the perseverance of Job and have seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Now, the example of Job is an interesting thing there. Uh, why? Well, why, why do I say that? How I mean, if you read Job,
1: part of the speech doesn't seem very patient. It persevered. What did he persevere in doing? What in something? What is if you
0: if you what did he demand? What was his, all of his ongoing prayer was certainly a, a sort of demand. Why? Yeah, but but even though the prayer that man show up and judge here, he was holding on to his prayer. He was looking for God to come, and and then God came. Jokes off, you know. Get it? But so even though my, I guess my point is that wrestling with God in prayer. Because you don't understand, is not being impatient. That is what patience is: wrestling with God in prayer and going through the agonies of how you understand what's going on in your life in the light of, of in the light of your faith when you don't always get it. But you know, what we don't let go of is of, of the prayer. The prayer itself is the thing we're holding on to.
1: Just me, what you said last week too about not running away. That Job stayed in relationship, willing to duke it out, so to speak. He was willing to just say what was on his heart, what yeah. was on his mind, but he didn't
0: run away. He didn't run away, no. Yeah. and he sat there with his persecutors, yeah,
1: who were telling him this happened because you're bad, you did something bad. That's my takeaway. I think that's right, and I think
0: that, that because we, we, we um, uh, this is so much of what. James and John before him were saying, or understood as very communal realities. We stay in our prayer with God, We stay in the community where we're likely to grumble, but no, we're gonna stay here, we're gonna to try to love, that's our vocation,
1: not exactly, not run away from it. The reward will be there at the end. That's right, and I think that that's, um, I was thinking about that. Uh, that he really, he, there certainly is a um,
0: demonic aspect to Gethsemane, but it also seems to me that Gethsemane is, is very much about the flesh. That is, I, I, I have this painful vocation before me, and I don't want to do it and he he surrenders his flesh to that location the, the human the human he, he, he surrenders to to god's call whereas the temptation for us is i'm uncomfortable i went out here
1: think of it too in terms of the witness of the church in jerusalem during this time we went to jerusalem not long ago with the armenian contingency the armenians Because of the Christian faith. I the Orthodox Jews who oppose the Armenian Christians anyway, and they will take the cross off the bishop with a and rip it off. So there's still the continuation of the witness. Well in many ways the Orthodox Jews in Jerusalem uh, are sort of a continuation
0: of the Pharisees. And they they would they would see not you know uh, whereas the further you get from that ancient oh you know, Jesus just a prophet or something, no, I mean they're they're either he is the Messiah or he's to be unalterably opposed as, as as the a liar of the highest order. And that's, so they're, in a certain way their logic is, their is right, just their conclusion is wrong. <laughs> but but it's interesting right that because there you have a place
1: where that the ancient antagonisms still reign because they still live there. Twelve. But of all, above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or
0: by earth with any other oath, let your yes be yes and your no, no. push you fall
1: into judgment. Also echoes Jesus. Where I just going to throw it at? So in other words, as
0: followers of Christ, we should just say what we mean and mean what we say. And if we're having to make an oath, use when someone says they have to square on a stack of Bibles, or I promise, you know, it's like, you're lying. Why would you, why would you have
1: to The harder someone protests they're telling the truth, the more likely they are to be not telling the truth. James's point is, is while that might be required for testimony, it shouldn't be required for, for us to tell the truth. But as though if the Bible weren't there, we would have said something else. <laughs> Verse 13: Any among you suffering, let him
0: pray. Is anyone cheerful, let him sing psalms. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the
1: Lord will raise him up. And if his committed sins, he will be forgiven. But what seems to be indicated in this series of verses is that
0: uh, Exhortation to live every state of life in reference to God. So you're suffering, you pray. Pray and wait. Um, if you're cheerful, are things going well? Remember to, to praise God, to sing psalms, of hymns and prayers of thanksgiving. Everything is in relationship to God. Um, the sick, um, this kind of is, is a verse that, uh gives indication of the, the ancient practice of anointing with oil for healing which we do when we anoint people and pray for healing. Uh, the elders, uh the word is presbyter, which became priest, so this will be the, the elders are essentially what were what later the priests. We we pray in anointing them. And the prayer is, is there's some ambiguous language in the prayer of faith will save the sick. It's not clear whether, um, the saving, uh, and the raising them up is complete healing or, or eternal salvation or some of both, and his sins will be forgiven. Um, I should note that when we anoint with oil for healing, um, not every time that we do that, this, this that does result in the removal, the complete removal of the sickness we're praying for. But the essence of it is to, um, there's always some measure of healing on the level of James talking about here. Saving us, raising us up, bringing forgiveness. And it's a way of, as it were, in, in harmony with all the verses that came before, bringing the sickness into the kingdom, asking for healing, asking for God's presence in it, what he will do with it, how we will work in our lives through it, so that however, whatever it is with the, the sickness, we will, we will experience it through the kingdom. And that's what function should help us to do.
1: We pray for some relief, but whatever it is, we'll, we'll have a greater measure of God's presence in it. Confess your trespasses to one another, and pray for one another that you may be healed. And this really speaks about a um, kind
0: of humility and openness and honesty. It doesn't mean that, um, like the sacrament of confession, this is to be replaced just by randomly telling everybody around you your sins, um, you know obviously we confess our sins we have to have a certain discretion
1: for the greater good of the community but the point here is a willingness to acknowledge i've done something wrong well. that's the, that's what
0: we're talking about if i if i did something to offend you i am sorry about that so rather than being defensive an openness a willingness to involve self-examination
1: and, to yeah. Right? Right. yeah, I mean, so I guess what I'm getting at
0: here with regard to maybe the distinction between confess your sins to one another and what we think, what we practice as a sacrament of confession, um, the role of a priest in the sacrament of confession is to hear in a detailed way how people assess what's disordered in life and give wise counsel. Not every fellow Christian is prepared to hear all that and will not necessarily deal with it as, as, as well. Um, for example, if we really confess everything to one another, we might get, "I oh, don't worry about that. God forgives you, and not maybe give some wise counsel. Or you might get, you did what? So the confess your sins to one another is an exhortation to humility and openness, a willingness that I was wrong. It doesn't mean that every fellow Christian is prepared to, to hear every ambiguity of your heart. There's a place for deeper spiritual counsel you know, with, with someone who maybe is, is um, more prepared
1: to, to deal with all, of, all that's there in a helpful way. Um, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much.
0: Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. It did not rain on the land for three years and six months.
1: He prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced fruit. So prayer is a powerful thing. And the horizon here of three and a half years, I think what I've kind of realized is Sort of some tension with the kind of idea of sort of miracle or tent revival prayer
0: where we have some we pray and all of a sudden a moment something happens that I think there's real power of prayer persevered in for seasons of time, often numbered in years. Those produce really tremendous fruit. And, and I think that's how we should think of it. The effective perfect prayer of a righteous man avails much. We we persevere in that prayer, and we see how God works, how
1: that that uh, fruitful over time. Brethren, if any among you wanders from the truth, and
0: someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns the sinner from the
1: error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. So this this is like compassion for an erring brother or sister, um, which which I, I suppose we could contrast with. We see see somebody
0: who's doing the wrong thing. We could immediately judge. We might want to go first
1: say, "Hey, I heard about you. It doesn't look good." In this. Five away if we can bring something down. Like Speaks after the loss sheet. <laughs> at <least> they're there. <laughs> <laughs> should, should I ever so choose, I know they'll be there, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's James, uh, straightforward. <laughs> I think a lot of sedations had to be about living everything in, in reference to the kingdom of God. Lord, bless us and keep us. Lord, make his face to shine upon us. Be gracious unto us. Lord, lift up his countenance upon us. Give us peace this day and forever.